I want you to imagine for a moment that you, uh, you, you sit down somewhere. It might be that you've, um, you've gone to one of the, uh, the community barbecues that we have and um, you meet someone new. Um, what's going to happen in that conversation? I mean, what could happen? What's, what's at stake here? Uh, there could be a whole bunch of different things. It could be that uh, you, get someone, you get a chance for someone to really like you uh, and your esteem is at stake and you get to say, well, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a nice person. They go, and they walk away from the conversation thinking you're a nice person. Uh, or it could be uh, a chance for you to get some information. You know, they, they have some information that's going to really change your life and, and th- that's a great privilege for you. Or it could be, I mean, if you're single and they're of the opposite sex, this could be your future spouse. But what else could there be? Especially if the conversation starts drifting towards God and church and the Bible, what's possibly at stake here? Well, let me put a pause on that conversation um, as, we, uh, as we explore what we've got. Now, um, I think what we do is when we comes to understanding Jesus, it's very easy for us to, uh, to talking about Jesus. We often think, oh... I'm worried about what they're going to think. I'm worried about building a bridge. I'm worried about all these things. But there are other things that we should be worried about, and that is what we're going to be looking at today. Now, uh, just to explain previously where we're up to in this series, uh, first talk was... Okay, I'm going to give you guys a pop quiz because this is the last sort of talk talk we've got here. First talk was really about... What? History. History. Thank you. Well done, Lee. I do actually have some gold stars today, and they're at the back, so I'll make sure... (laughs) Sorry? Calvin will go and get you one. Um... Uh, history and how history is unfolding. Oh, we've got Mitty's. Oh, hey, there you go. If you're, I've got more questions to come. Just letting you know. Um, back to what we're that the history is about. There are several different acts of history. The the middle, the, the climactic act is uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, the fifth act is the one yet to come of Jesus' return, and we're in the middle of the fourth act. And we've been looking at that fifth act of what will happen when Jesus returns. And then we looked at uh, the, the second talk, last week's talk, no, second talk, that was about what? There's a minty at stake here, people, come on. Resurrection, hey, Lee's just going to keep getting those gold stars and minties. Uh, the physical resurrection, that we will be raised and that people will be physically raised to an eternity. And uh, last week, we looked at one of, the, one of the destinations of those eternities, which was... Okay, yeah, Craig gets the, uh, yeah, it's, it's just being shared around the Norton family now. Um, it's the new creation or heaven. Sonny really wants a, a minty. You want more questions? That's what it comes down to. Yeah, okay. Today we're going to be looking at the other destination. And I want to say there's going to be a lot of difficult things that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, if you want to read some more, can I recommend this book? Um, it's uh, Raising Hell by Francis Chan and Preston Sprinkle. Apparently, there really is a guy called Preston Sprinkle. <laughs> if you've got a name like that, you really need to write a book so you get your name on the cover. But this book, I, I've never read a book about that's just been about hell. And this book not just looks at biblical and, and historical content, but you know, biblical content particularly, but also engages emotionally with the topic. You know, you sit there and go, how you know this is a very emotional topic, and and these guys do a really good job of of the and it's a, it's a fairly easy read too. I think I reread it in the last two weeks, and I think a total of about half an hour. It's it's a fairly easy read as five chapters, and um, I highly recommend to, that to you. A raising hell by Francis Chan and Preston Sprinkle.
Now, uh, there are only two destinations. Now, you see here, as we get to um, Luke 16, uh, there's a story of a rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man and Lazarus basically go to two different destinations. Uh, You see it there, um, verse 22. One day the poor man died, and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. Um, Literally, it reads, if you've got a little footnote there, does anyone see the footnote? Was it? No one? Abraham's bosom, which kind of, I always had a little bit of a problem with because it always sounds like, you know, big old guy with breast implants, but anyway. Um, but it's, it's, it's literally that here is a guy who is sitting right next to Abraham and, and you know, when you're in a dinner party, you're kind of really close together and you say, this guy is, has an a, a honour, a place of honour. And he is sitting at the place where Abraham's promises are all completely fulfilled. Now, we're going to be returning back to the life of Abraham in the next couple of weeks, so that should actually twig us. That's why it's so important to understand who Abraham is and what his promises are. But he gets, he gets the good side. This is essentially another way of talking about the new creation that we talked about last week. But the rich man, verse 23, being in torment in Hades, uh, I'm going to use the word hell at this point in time, he looked up and he saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Let me just pause for a moment. I know there is a little bit of confusion about the word Hades uh, and the way the, the Bible does tend to use it in two different ways. Uh, it, on one hand, it's the place of the dead, sort of where you go when you die and you know, before you're going to be resurrected. But here I think it's talking particularly about what we would call hell, the place of punishment. And you get that from the context because he's kind of going, this is so painful that all I want... Is for, uh, is for Lazarus to come and if he could just, just you know, kind of do that, that would, that would just ease my pain that much. You know, I'm not going to give you a whole red bull, I'm just, I just, I just want to get a little tip of water there. And that is what it's like. Um, and to keep going, uh, verse 26, uh, I'll read from verse 25. Son, Abraham said, Remember that during your life you received good things, just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that you, you, those who want to pass from here to you cannot, neither can those cross from, uh, uh, over to us, uh, from there to over to us. Point is, there are only two destinations, okay? Uh, there is... A thing that judgment happens and you either end up in, the, in what we call heaven, new creation, but we're just going to call it heaven for the moment, and you, or you end up in hell. And, and this parable actually illustrates the fact that you don't get to change sides after judgment. It's done. There is, and there is no universalism. There's no sense of, oh, well, we all get to go to heaven, it's all okay. Uh, universalism is this idea that, um, yeah, we all get to go to heaven, but where is the justice in that? Most of you are too young to remember this, but in the 80s and 90s, there was a, uh, a, a um, serial rapist called Mr. Cruel. And uh, what he would do is he would go and um, he would attack uh, people's houses um, and he would attack and rape young girls. So in 1987, um, he entered a house, he tied up the parents, um, he tied up the, 11, um, the young son 
and then he um, uh, attacked and raped an 11-year-old girl. In 1998, uh, he did the same sort of thing. He grabbed a 10-year-old uh, girl called Sharon, put tape over her mouth. She, he abducted her and released her 18 hours later. In 1990, uh, he attacked another 13-year-old girl. Uh, he molested her for 50 hours and then released her. And then in 1991, he abducted a 13-year-old girl called Carmen Chan and her body was found with three gunshot wounds to the head and it was found a year later. How many years is Mr. Cruel doing in prison for all of that? Anyone? He's never been caught. Right? There has been no justice for any of those people. Nobody knows where he is. Nobody knows where it is. He, he, the case is still open. Where is the justice there? Uh, he has never been found. Neither has... Uh, there, he's not the only one. There are a whole bunch of serial killers like the Zodiac Killer uh, or Jack the Ripper. Or, and they're just the high-profile people who get away with things. You know, you, you think about, what about other people, you know, suicide bombers or people who get away with atrocious crimes and they get away with it because their victims are too scared to come forward. And so where is the justice there? And so there is hell and there is heaven and there is judgment and there is justice. And the Bible affirms this again and again. And there are not different levels, just one or the other. Uh, there is no uh, purgatory, um, and we might talk a, bit, a little bit about that next week. So purgatory is the idea that what happens is I die, and then I go to this place where my soul needs to be cleansed or whatever it is, and that's a painful kind of thing. And it's kind of like a sub-hell, and then, you, you know, and then I, I get released to heaven. But there is only heaven or hell, and we've talked about what heaven is like. What is hell like? Let me show you. In fact, quick, okay, here we go. You've got another minty. Who... Uh, which, which part of the Bible talks the most about hell? New Testament? New Testament? Jesus. Jesus. Of all that, everyone kind of goes, oh, the Old Testament, that is the angry God. <laughs> Okie dokie. Uh, no, you got to keep coming down. It's like down, down there. Yeah. Yeah, everyone kind of goes, oh... Um, the Old Testament, that's angry God, and that's, you know, he's bloodthirsty, angry kind of thing. But Jesus, he comes along, and he's all nice and loving, and that sort of thing. But actually, Jesus is the one who talks more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. Let me show you some of the things that he, the way he describes hell. Um, and if your, uh, where is it? Oh, and if your hand causes you, causes your downfall, cut it off. It is better for you. Uh, to enter maimed uh, than to have two hands and go to hell. And then he describes it, the unquenchable fire where the worm does not die or the fire is not quenched. Or he goes on, then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you are cursed, into what? The eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Let me keep going. And they went away into what? Eternal punishment and the righteous into eternal life. I want you to notice that we're going to come back to the moment. It's not just punishment, it is eternal punishment. Or uh, when Jesus is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he says that whoever says his, his brother fool will be subject to the Sanhedrin, but whoever says you moron will be subject to hell fire. Snakes, brood of vipers, 
Um, how can you escape being condemned to hell? Or the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, God's wrath remains on him. Do you get the picture? And I'm just giving you a, a quick selection and I'm only focusing on some of the things that Jesus has said and each of them. The general picture, in, in, just in case you fall asleep in the next five minutes, and I find that highly unlikely, but just in case you hell bad, right? Really, really, really bad. Okay, next time you get a little burn, you, you know, the match, you light a match and the thing goes down your fingers, you go, ow, that really hurt. That's just your fingers. Imagine your whole body being in that kind of pain. So what is hell like? Really, really hot. Let me, let me give you a couple of, let me just sum this up in a couple of different things. Who said that? That was a minty. That was a minty. Okay, I think you, nice catch. I think you guys are now just abusing the whole minty thing now. Anyway, hell is eternal. Now, there is an idea that um, people will go to hell for a while and then die, uh, then sort of die off. And um, it's one of those things, it, it's sort of a, annihilationist kind of thing that, you know, you annihilate after a while. But actually, when you look at the Bible's evidence, there is nothing to actually say that that is true. One of the great Bible teachers, a guy called John Stott, he held this, but he confessed that he held it not because he thought the Bible was true, but because he just emotionally, as he understood what hell was like, the concept of people being there for eternity was something that he's, he just couldn't fathom. But if we look at the truth of it, Hell is eternal, and it is hard. Uh, sometimes there are verses that will seem a little ambiguous, and they'll use the word destroyed. Um, you'll, you'll have to trust me on this, but the Greek word behind that is not the word we tend to think of destroyed as being gone, but the word of actually the pain of being destroyed that's there. So the first one is that hell is eternal. Second, hell is painful. Um, Often the idea of fire or being consumed by worms is there. I think that's metaphorical, but, you know, again, bad is how we get there. Or you see that picture. I think the, the picture that we see in this parable of the rich man just going, hey, I am in such... What's the word there? Who was that? Was that Lani? Yeah. Okay, Lani gets the thing. Oh, you can pass it around. Sorry. I am in such agony... See, Carl's looking... <laughs> I was going to say, you can pass it around, Carl's looking hopeful, mate. Um, I am in such agony that if I could just get that, that would just make my, my existence that, that much. Can you imagine the pain that is there? Um, hell is painful. And the, the third thing I want you to keep in mind, that hell is not an absence of God, but the presence of his wrath. There is an idea that, the, that, that hell is this place where God isn't there and we're just in this darkness kind of thing. And you know what? Emotionally, I, I, in some ways, I wish that was the case because there are people I know who I don't think repented at the end of their life. I don't know for sure, but I'd rather they weren't in the, play, the picture that the Bible had. I'd rather they were just in this dark, lonely place because the picture is far worse. But that's not the truth. The truth is... Um, God, uh, as one person put it, um, God is present in hell. Hell is exclusion from fellowship with God, but not exclusion from his presence. Or if you want to see this, if you really want to see a picture of what hell is like, go to the cross. Because that is where Jesus experienced hell for us. 
And I know the picture at the cross is that, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, I think there is a point where it's not that God has been cut off from Jesus, the Father has been cut off, but the fellowship between the Father and Son has been cut off and been transformed from rather a relationship of love, but a relationship of wrath, of being poured onto Jesus because of what I have done and what you have done. Hell is eternal, is painful, it is where God pours out his agony and his wrath on us, and it is agonizing. Now, you go, is this kind of, you, you kind of sound like you're trying to scare me here. And the answer is, actually, you know what? I am kind of trying to scare you. I know some of you go, but we're Christian, we're okay, but no, no, stay with me on this one. Why does Jesus, you ever stop to think, why does Jesus spend time telling us about hell? Why would he go out of his way to teach us about hell? Because he wants us to avoid it. Isn't that kind of thing? You know, you, 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 if you see someone in danger, don't you want to tell them? You don't, you, and when, when someone says, um, you don't go to someone and say, hey, I'll tell you what, this building is burning, you need to get out of here or you're going to die. I mean, that's what you tell them, isn't it? Because you want to avoid them dying in a burning building. And, and you can't turn around, people turn around and say, oh... I don't think that's the best way to get me to exit the building, actually. I think rather than telling me that the building's going to burn down, that you should tell me about how wonderful it is outside and and help me to come outside. It is much better outside. It's safer outside. New creation is much, much better than hell. But you've got to keep in mind that the two options are either heaven or hell, and hell is really bad. And yes, it should be a little scary, at least. And I've got to tell you, when I explain this to people uh, who aren't Christian, I sit there and go... There's a passage in 2 Corinthians that talks about how the gospel is veiled to people who don't believe. Right? And, uh, and I go, I get that because it seems to be such a no-brainer. Trust Jesus, avoid hell, go to heaven. It seems like a pretty straightforward kind of thing. Carrot and stick. But it's a reminder that the gospel is veiled. But hell is bad. So... How do we avoid hell? Well, it's to do with the judge and judgment. Uh, Jesus talks about this in John chapter 5. He says that the Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, uh, so that all people who, are, who will honour the Son as they honour the Father, anyone who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, has passed from death to life. Now, there's a couple of things we need to keep in mind here. Firstly, who judges? Jesus. What else does Jesus do? He's the one who dies for us. Isn't that such a great thing? To know that the one who has expressed his love for us by dying for us is the one who now comes and judges us. Gives you a certain amount of reassurance, doesn't it? But... How does he judge us? It is by those who hear my word and believe me, him who sent him. And who? what is the message that Jesus has come to bring? That if you do enough good works, then you know what? You're going to get into heaven and it's all going to work, right? Okay, I was kind of hoping for a big no there. Is anyone still with me? No. <laughs> with a little more conviction too. No, it is that no one is able to work their way into heaven. 
It is by trusting in what Jesus has done for us. The work of God is this, that you believe in the one whom he has sent, in Jesus. Now, you'll notice here, who decides who goes to heaven, who goes to hell? Minty up for grabs. Thank you. I was going to say, this is an easy one. You should be able to get that one. Jesus gets it. Jesus is the one who decides. Actually, it's not me. I don't get to decide this. You don't get to decide this. Um, There are times when we just don't really know what is going on in people's hearts and minds to actually make the call who's going to heaven, who's going to hell. Um, now, on one hand, that can mean for people, uh, I, I have family members who have died, and as far as I know, they rejected the gospel all the way. Did they have a last-minute conversion? I don't know. I really hope they do, but I don't know. That's the thing. I just don't know, and I won't know until the last day. But here's the other thing. There's a flip side to this, isn't there? There are people whom Jesus himself says, they come to me and they say, Lord, Lord, and he goes, I don't know who you are. Right? People who will say, I call myself Christian, I trust in Jesus, I've done all, you know, I, I do all, I tick all the boxes. And Jesus is going, you know what? I don't know who you are. That sent a shiver down my spine. And I hope it sends a shiver down your spine as well to go, is it really the case? Now, here is one thing, as I did some work on this talk, one of the things that I discovered. When Jesus talks about hell, more often than not, he's not just talking about how to avoid hell, he's, he's often talking about, uh, apart from passages like this, he, he, he talks about how do I know who's going to heaven, who's going to hell? It's the people who, don't, who trust in Jesus and that trust in Jesus has been converted to fruit in their lives. Come with me back to the parable. Verse 25, uh, What's the difference between the two men? Verse 25, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received good things but as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here while you're in agony. Now, you just take that verse. It sounds like rich people go to hell, poor people go to heaven, doesn't it? Yeah. But I think when you understand this in the rest of what's going on in Luke, you actually realize you're a rich man and you should know the prophets and you should know what to do when you're rich and there's a poor guy living outside your house. He's living in your garage. And you didn't do it. You didn't show the fruit of knowing who God is. Now, in your gospel communities, I'm going to give you a couple of other passages that talk about that. And like I said, there is just, I think that should just, our assurance is in Jesus and his work on the cross. But there's just a little bit of a shiver down the spine. We go, is that me? Now, the last thing I want you to keep in mind is, how is it that we, we, we go from deserving hell to deserving heaven well it's we deserve hell for what we have done we deserve heaven because of what jesus has done and why does he do this on one hand he does it because he loves us but you see what he does it is so that we may honor the son and honor the father he does this for the glory of god he goes because the glory of god is show what how great and glorious a great god he is And the way he shows how great he is by giving us mercy and rescuing us from hell to heaven. That's a big thing, isn't it? 
What God rescues someone, people who deserve to go to hell and says, I will adopt you into my family and, and let you go to heaven. It's a glorious God, a huge God, an amazing God. Now, hell often raises some questions. I know there's going to be some questions in question time, but let me just tackle a few that usually come up. Right? Are you saying that if I don't believe in Jesus, then I'm going to go to hell? That's often a question that comes up. All right? Well, what's the alternative? Before we look at the answer to that, what's the alternative? One alternative is everyone goes to heaven. There is no hell. No one goes to hell. And we've just sort of said, well, where's the justice in that? What happens to Mr. Cruel? How does Mr. Cruel get away with it as a case? Okay, well, perhaps there is a heaven and there is a hell and bad people go to heaven, good people go to... Uh, sorry, uh, good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. Get that around the right way, right? How does that work? If good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell, who gets to go to heaven? Sorry? Poor people. Actually, I want to say, no one does. You might say, well, I'm not a psychopath, so I'm Okay. What's the, when Jesus was asked the commandments, what are the commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That, that's the first, we're not even going to worry about the second one, we're just going to worry about the first one, right? Love God. What does that, what does that look like? What does that mean? John Piper, he described it, this, he said, this is what sin is. It is the glory of God not honoured. It is the holiness of God not reverenced. It is the greatness of God not admired. It is the power of God not praised. The truth of God not sought. The wisdom of God not esteemed. The beauty of God not treasured. The goodness of God not savoured. The faithfulness of God not trusted. The commandments of God not obeyed. The justice of God not respected. The wrath of God not feared. The grace of God not treasured, the presence of God not prized, and the person of God not loved. That is sin. Now, when you look at sin like that, you go, yeah, serial killing, that is wrong. But then what else have you got? How many of us can say, I, I have loved God with all my heart and my soul and my mind? None of us can. And so if you want to say good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell, we are all going to hell. So if you're saying, if I don't believe, if you're saying that if I don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to hell, that's our best option. That's the best we've got, isn't it? The best news is that God shows us mercy by giving us a rescue plan in Jesus. It's, you know, I remember someone asking Bear Grylls, he said, you know, um, uh, I think somebody was, uh, an atheist was asking him, he said, oh, you know, don't you think that Christianity is a bit of a crutch, you know, for a manly man like you, isn't it? No. Why, why are you Christian? He goes, mate, when you, when you need saving, you grab any rope you can, and we need saving from God, and I'll grab that rope, and I'm not ashamed to do it. That is the mercy of God that is given to us. There is no other hope. So, yes, if you don't believe in Jesus, then yes, you are going to go to hell. There isn't any other option. But then that raises another question. What about the innocent person in Africa who's not heard about Jesus? Is he going to hell? 
Well, there's a couple of, now there's a couple of ways that we can address this. And this raises a couple of issues for us. The first one is that, that phrase, the innocent person in Africa. First problem there is, there is no innocent person in Africa or anywhere else. Um, and you might say, yes, but they still haven't had a chance to hear about Jesus. Well, let, let me, let, I'm going to come back to it. Well, maybe they have, but let, let's, let's go. Why do you want to know the answer to that? That's the question I think we need to ask. Why is this question such a big question? Because it means that if people can go to heaven without me having to tell them about Jesus, then maybe I don't need to tell people about Jesus. Is that, is that the question behind the question? Or is it the question behind the question that's being, you know what I mean? Is it that we, we can avoid the gospel? Is that what it comes down to? One thing that we do, this question does raise, is that we do need to make sure people know about Jesus so that they can at least make the decision. Now, where is the best place in the world to do that? I would have thought in a city where people are coming not just from other parts of your country, but from countries all around the world to your city so that you don't have to go to the whole world. Sound familiar? That's the city we live in. And we live in a city which will grow by another 2 million people over the next two decades. Of that, 1.7 million, I think, are people who are not being born here but are moving in here from other countries. The world is coming to us. And yet in this city, at least half the people in this city don't know a Christian who can explain the gospel to them. In this city, we still only have 3% of the population going to church right now on Sunday. 97% of people aren't going to go to church on Sunday. I remember a a guy who was in America, and uh, he was an American missionary to Bangladesh, I think it was, and he said, um, yeah, we're going to uh, Bangladesh because, you know, uh, there's only 12% church attendance there. I'm going, 12%? What I wouldn't give for 12% in Sydney. And one of the key places where people are moving into, where we have great gospel opportunities, is Parramatta. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing this Parramatta project on Sunday nights, is to reach people who are... Literally what happens in Parramatta is people move in from another country into, you know, within walking distance of where we're meeting, uh, and they usually stay there for 6 to 12 months, and then they'll move somewhere else. And we're hoping that in that window of 6 to 12 months, we can give them the gospel, they can come to know Jesus, and then they'll go off to another church somewhere. It's, It's... we need to hear it. But let me, let me come back to this question, though. The innocent person, haven't they heard about Jesus? Well, on one hand, the Bible actually says that the normal way that, that God saves someone is uh, they come up to you and say, hey, have you heard about Jesus? Can I explain to you who he is? And you go, hey, ah, Jesus, I need to trust him. I, he needs to be my Lord and Savior. I'm going to go after him, right? But that's not the only way that God saves people. I was expecting at least one look of, hey, am I talking to a, are we listening to a heretic now? No, okay, nothing, right. Either you guys are asleep or you just really trust me, I can't work that one out. Trust? Okay, we'll go with that. Uh, that's better for my ego. And um, uh, on one hand, um, Paul explains, look, when you see the world, um, there is, God has revealed himself in a way so that men are without excuse, as Romans says. 
So on one hand, yes, he has shown us. On the other hand, there are places where you see in the world where there are no evangelists, and, and so God himself evangelizes. Have you heard those stories of, of villages in China where everyone wakes up one morning and goes, I had this weird dream about this guy called Jesus. And everyone goes, yeah, I had that dream too. And it's like God speaks to everyone in the same village in the same dream. And they go, who is this Jesus guy? And a week later, an evangelist turns up, we're here to tell you about Jesus. And they go, oh, thank you, because we've been really confused about this over the last week. And you're going, wow, this is a weird experience. But you know what I mean? Like, there are places in the world where the, the church hasn't actually reached them yet, but God has. Now, yes, it is usually through the church that God reaches people, but it's not the only way. People are hearing about the gospel. Um, now, let me ask, this is, a, this is one as well, I think is really tricky, and uh, I'm going to try and engage with it as much as I can. What about unborn kids who've never heard, never going to hear, are they going to hell? Now, let me be really clear on this. The Bible doesn't speak about this at all. Yes, there is Psalm 51 that talks about, I was sinful when my mother conceived me, uh, but there are other parts, you know, there are other theologians who've argued, well, yeah, that is true, we have a sinful nature, but because they haven't yet been born, kids haven't had the opportunity to express that sinful nature. And so, I, look, the bottom line is, I think the Bible is silent here. So I don't know. What I do know is God is the kind of God that, who will show mercy where he can show mercy. And so I'm going to trust in that, that he is a God who can show... When he, does, when he has the opportunity to show mercy, he can. I'm hoping that's what happens, but I can't say for sure because it's, it, it's, it's, an, it's, it's silence. Now, before I give you guys some stuff to think about, I want to talk about... Let me make it really clear. If you're not a Christian here today, I need to be really clear on this. I'm not going to assume that everyone in the room is Christian, but I want to... Without Jesus... That place we're talking about with hell, that is where you are going. And we want to help you not go there. We want you to go to a great place of blessing, a good place. And the transfer is very simple. It is saying, I've done, all the, wrong, I've done the wrong thing, and Jesus, you've taken the punishment for that, so please let me go free. But if you're a Christian here today, I want you to remember what you have been saved from. When you look at hell, I want you to realize, I could have been there. I could have gone there. And I think it's the way that we talk about hell will say a lot about it. Not just that we talk about it, but the way we talk about it. Now, on one hand, I think there is a degree where we need to be a little, like I said, there should be a little shiver down our spine as we talk about hell. George Orwell, he made a very, he, not Christian, made a very interesting comment about it. He said, uh, the novelist George Orwell observed sarcastically that most Christians believe in hell. But have you ever met a Christian who seemed more afraid of hell than he was of cancer? I found that quite confronting. So I thought, I think I'm more afraid of cancer than hell. But now that I've looked at hell, I think I'm more afraid of hell than I am of cancer. Now, I think the way that we speak of hell is important here. The way that we speak of it is not because the, 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 world, the, world, the view of the world is that, oh, you think we're, you're better than us, so you're going to go, you know, so you get to go to heaven and you deserve heaven and we deserve hell because we're not as good as you. And go, no, no, no. We, wanna, we need to speak about hell as not something that they deserve but that we have been rescued from. 
And so we've got to work out how we speak about it in a way that we have been rescued from this. But also, on top of that, I think the way that this is... I, I was listening to a talk, again, by John Piper. He was talking about swear words and, and curse words. And one of the things he said is that the way that we take words um, that have great weight to them and we make them quite light in the way we use them. And at the time, I think I was using hell in quite a, quite a you know, oh, what the hell? Oh, hell, you know, this... Uh, and then I realized, as I was doing it, what am I saying about hell? That it's just some, you know, word I can just throw around. Like, an, it's, this is an eternal, painful punishment for people, and I'm just throwing it around like it's just nothing. How we speak about hell matters. We've got to be careful how we talk about it. That it's something that, it is something that is, we're scared of. And we're scared of for this person and it's something that we have been rescued from. But we also need to keep in mind what is at stake. Back to that question, the conversation that you're about to have. Um, Early in Mel Gibson's uh, movie career, he did a movie called Gallipoli. Anyone seen Gallipoli? I was going to say, you guys can get a minty, but she's not there, so bad luck. Um, and uh, in, in the movie Gallipoli, there was a scene where uh, uh, his regiment were lining up and they were going over the trenches and they were just getting mowed down. And, you know, so, and, um, and he and a couple of other guys said, we need to go back to the generals and say, this isn't working. Send, me back, send one of us back as a runner. And uh, they, he said, okay, I don't know what his name is, Mel Gibson, you're up. And so Mel Gibson bolts all the way down through and there are some dangerous places where he goes. And then he gets down there and he goes, this isn't working, you need to give the order to stop it from happening. And, uh, and the, the, the general's kind of, okay, yeah, no, stop the, stop the thing. Now, Mel Gibson then stops, has a cup of tea, thinks about, now, how am I going to explain this to people? I need to think about, is that what happens? No, he has the words to save his friend's life, and he will do anything he can to get it to them. And he takes the piece of paper and he runs and he goes through these places where they're shooting, you know, machine guns and people are kind of, oh, you shouldn't go yet. And he's, he just, I don't care. I, this will save someone's life and I must get it to them. And if you've seen the movie, the tragedy of the movie is he gets to the trench just as his regiment goes over. And the words that would save their life got there too late. We have the words that save people not just from going over a trench, but from an eternity. Now, when you sit down and you have a conversation with someone, there's a lot at stake here. In fact, what is at stake here? You have the opportunity to help this person to take at least just one step away from hell towards heaven. It will be a risk for you. But when you think of what is at stake... Is it really that big a risk for you? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that you've at least given us the warning of hell. And I thank you so much that you have given to us, this church, the words, the message that stops hell, that rescues people, the words of eternal life. Father, We live in a society where people don't want to hear about heaven and hell and they don't want to hear about Jesus and they don't want to hear about how they are sinners. And when we raise the subject, we know that we're going to be looked down on, we're going to be teased, uh, we're going to be treated with um, 
disdain. But Father, don't let us stop us. Don't let that stop us. Father, you put us in one of the best cities in the world to make the gospel known. You've put us in one of the the best cities to rescue people from hell and bring them into an eternity of heaven. So I pray that you will help us, use us as a church to do that. Pray that you'll help each one of us remember that when we sit next to someone at work, on the bus or on the train or in a cafe, the very least we can do is to pray for them, that you will reveal yourself to them, that they will be rescued from hell. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.